Welcome again to this series on Emoji Law hosted by the Columbus Bar Association in conjunction with the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. My name is Kenton Steele. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Reminger Report podcast, and I thank you again for joining us. In our past episode on this topic, we explored a little bit of the history of how emojis came to be so prevalent in the way people communicate in this modern time. We spoke with a social media influencer who uses emojis as part of his daily business. And as this series continues, we'll be speaking with members of the bench and bar about the growing importance of understanding emojis in the modern practice of law. Today, we'll be continuing this ongoing discussion with the goal of gaining a better understanding of how emojis can present issues in a legal dispute and what to do to be prepared for encountering an emoji at the center of a case. Now, to aid us in that discussion, we're joined today by a special guest, David Thomas. Dave, I want to thank you for joining us. And if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And thanks for all the work you and your colleagues are putting in to put on this podcast. Here at the Columbus Bar Association, we're really grateful to have uh, partners like Kenton and Reminger doing all this hard work. So thanks again, Kenton. So my name is Dave Thomas. Uh, I have the pleasure this year of being the president of the Columbus Bar Association. When I'm not doing that, my day job is I am a partner at Taft, Statinius & Hollister, where I'm a member of the corporate compliance and white collar defense practice. So what that means in a practical sense is that I'm a trial lawyer and I represent individuals and companies when they're confronted with government investigations and prosecutions. And for reasons both good <laughs> and bad, emojis come up frequently in the matters that I handle. And is that something that you see becoming more commonplace, digital forms of communication being at the center of the cases you're handling? Absolutely. There's a reason that lawyers call email evidence mail. And the only thing that's changing is the proliferation of platforms. So we don't only have to manage email and letters anymore, but as you know, we don't even have just text messages, but we have WhatsApp, we have Telegram, we have Facebook Messenger, all of which have been important players in uh, many trials that I've been preparing for. And what advice or suggestions would you have for our, our viewers and listeners about how to prepare themselves for dealing with the type of authentication and evidentiary issues that can come up when you're talking about communications that are not in your typical email and certainly not in a letter that was mailed to someone, but is a message, uh, a message from Facebook Messenger or, or a WhatsApp type platform? Well, for the benefit of the um, potential clients out there, what I always remind them of is once you have clicked send, it's out there forever. No matter how secure you believe your platform is or your encryption protocols, there's a very real possibility that every single message you have sent to a person or group of people could become evidence in the future. So remember that before you click send. For the benefit of the lawyers, you have to stay nimble. You have to stay on top of the latest technologies and you have to make sure that you're tracking the developments in information technology and electronically stored information. And for us, what that means is not only uh, staying current as lawyers, but also making sure we work with vendors who can provide us expert assistance because I'm not smart enough to keep up with all of that. Uh, understood. I, I've certainly had similar experiences finding, you know, it's out there. It's just a matter of getting it in a format that you can review and use. Um, and, and understanding that process is certainly key to a modern practice. But 
with that proliferation of, of what I think of as less formal means of communication, right? And email certainly carries a level of f formality with it that isn't there with a direct message on Instagram or a, a message on Facebook. And in that less formal uh, type of communication, I think emojis lend themselves well to that. Um, are you seeing more emojis uh, pop up in the communications you're seeing in your cases? Absolutely. I just recently uh, concluded a matter that involved uh, tens of thousands of pages of Facebook messages over a period of years among groups of people. And within those, there were thousands and thousands of emojis. Thumbs up, winky faces, and all the other emojis that we're all very familiar with. And the timing and the placement of those emojis turned out to be a really critical issue in the uh, evidence in that case. And how did you go about sorting through those, those issues? It was a challenge, um, and I don't think we ever found a perfect way to do it. Um, these particular communications were on Facebook Messenger. Um, Facebook does not always provide data in the most sortable way, and um, confidence in the authenticity of the data that we received was, uh, was low. We, we, weren't, we weren't exactly sure about how well the information had been preserved. And it turned out that was really important because the timing of a person sending a thumbs up can be really important um, when you're trying to understand whether, for example, a co-conspirator knew what his, his other co-conspirator was doing at a particular place and time. So um, unfortunately, we had to do a lot of it by um, dead reckoning. And what I mean by that is really just sorting through tens of thousands of um, pages of PDFs to try and uh, figure out exactly who was doing what and when. And that is um, certainly, I think, one thing that you're, one way to approach sorting out those issues with emojis, right, is when you have thousands of pages of communications, you can kind of piece together by context what um, each of those sort of pictographs are being used to represent, what is being communicated with that. Uh, I think one of the issues that we see when emojis present themselves in cases is every attorney is familiar with, um, you know, assigning the plain and ordinary meaning to terms that are in dispute, right? You look it up in the Webster's dictionary, you look it up in a legal dictionary, but with emoji, it is not as simple as that, right? They, they aren't in the dictionary. So figuring out what exactly does this thumbs up mean? Does it mean received? Does it mean I agree? Those types of issues I think are, are something that, you know, practitioners are going to be struggling with until maybe someday uh, we do have that sort of dedicated look up what the thumbs up means. But in the meantime, um, any suggestions for the viewers and listeners on, on piecing together what those emojis mean? Yeah, um, it's, it's a swiftly moving um, river of, um, of evidence, that's for sure. You know, I'm a, I'm a trial lawyer, and so I always go back to fundamentals and I go back to the rules of evidence. And that helps me at least sift through these communications and what we're gonna do about them if we're gonna have a jury trial. So the first question I always ask, the first question every trial lawyer should ask is, is it relevant? And um, that, the answer to that question may solve the whole thing right there because if that particular emoji isn't relevant to whatever the critical issue is in the case, then you never have to get to those next steps of interpreting it and so forth. Now, if it is relevant, you've got to figure out if it's hearsay. And to me, that's one of the really interesting questions with, with emojis is uh, determining whether a particular emoji is hearsay. 
And so I always go back to the rules, as I said, and so I looked at uh, Rule 801, which I brought here with me just to be sure I got it right. And Rule 801A, uh, under the Ohio Rules of Evidence, says a statement is an oral or written assertion or a nonverbal conduct of a person if it is intended by the person as an assertion. And I think that as we see more emojis, we're gonna be going back to 801A and trying to determine if the winky face or um, the flexed arm or whatever the other emoji is, is intended as an assertion. And I think that's gonna lead to some really uh, interesting questions and some interesting case law as this uh, issue continues to develop. And I, I think that that is so often the correct answer. Um, I obviously spend a lot of my time focusing on how do you deal with emerging technologies and what are the issues that they present in the law? And really, it's often the case that the first stop is just read the rules, really dive into the details of that rule. And I think the majority of the time, you're going to find your sticking point there. Is it an assertion? Does it fall within this definition or is it something else? I think most of the time that's where your answer will be found. As um, it may feel a little bit unsatisfying that that is really the answer is the fundamentals, right? That's right. Is there uh, any additional, you know, projections you have for, for what we'll be looking at down the road as emojis become more and more commonplace? Anything that you would um, consider advice to, you know, our, our listeners and viewers if they have an emoji come up that's in dispute in a case, how to go about either presenting that at trial or, or making that make sense for their judge if there is, for instance, a hearsay issue to be ex decided, how to go about explaining that? I think it's gonna be critical um, for practitioners to make sure they understand not only what the, the meaning of the emoji might be or the assertion, depending on what we're dealing with, but you then have to figure out whether it's authentic, which is basically step three in the uh, admissibility outline. And so that's something that is, um, was confusing enough when we were dealing with paper uh, communications, but it's gonna get even more confusing now that we're dealing with metadata. And so, you know, one of the things that can emerge, as I mentioned earlier, is it is not always clear when an emoji was either sent or received. And the timing of that could totally change the meaning of it. And the only way that we can get to the bottom of that is by analyzing metadata, working with experts in ESI, and really putting the, these uh, communications in context. And so I think responsible practitioners really need to monitor that if um, an electronic communication is, is key in resolving a case. And it, it really kind of brings us full circle around, I think, to where we started, that uh, that is maybe the other component of knowing your rules, having a strong grasp of what is actually in the rules, and also staying abreast of those technological changes. And I think if you have those two pieces you know, well under control, there's not going to be a lot that you won't be able to handle. That's right. The people who can put those two things together are the ones who are going to be really successful. All right. Well, Dave, I thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure that our viewers and listeners have um, hopefully found this to be enlightening and useful to them. Um, and you, the viewers, thank you for joining us again. Please be sure to join us next time as we continue our discussion about the role emojis play in the modern practice of law.